The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and it's wonderful to be back with you again for yet another week on the Business Elevation Show. And before we start the show today, um, I would like to introduce my guest, who is Kevin Routledge, and we talk about some lessons from delivering major projects and sporting success. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about basketball today. Um, I want to say a really big thank you to my guest last week, Lolly Daskal. Uh, Lolly was absolutely fascinating, and um, she was describing the Huffington Post as the most inspirational woman in the world, and she certainly inspired me last week. And we talked about the leadership gap and uh, her new book, The Leadership Gap, which is about archetypes and that book's coming out shortly i've been reading it and uh, it's it's going to be something i'm going to carry around with me for a long long time so do check that out do check the interview out with lolly last week so we're talking the today's show is called riding high and it's really appropriate because i'll explain a little bit more in a moment but what I'm going to talk about today is about um, large projects and, and an amazing project that happened in Leicestershire, which is my hometown. And uh, my co- client, my contact today, um, my guest, sorry, Kevin Routledge, has had an incredible uh, career in really, really major um, engineering projects. So at one stage, he's running one of the largest um, energy projects, one of the largest energy projects at the time in North America. And um, so he comes from this uh, background of these, these huge projects. And he's also had a huge passion for basketball. And um, today he is the chairman of the Leicester Riders. Now, the Leicester Riders, if you've not heard of them, are the um, BBL, which is, I guess, equivalent to the Premier League when it comes to football in the UK. They have won the league this year. They won it last year. Uh, they really are riding high and um, inspiring lots of people in, in our region, in the country, and getting more people to take up basketball and sorts of things. And he's the director of Leicester Arena, which is a large arena that he uh, had built uh, and uh, attracted the funds and engaged the local community to build. I had the privilege of going to see a game with my children a few weeks ago, and it was incredible, um, an incredible venue, an incredible atmosphere and ambiance. So I'm delighted to have him on the show today. And, um, yeah, congratulations to the team because they've just just uh, won in the last few weeks, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Delighted to be on the show with you. And, yes, it's been a, another very successful season to for the team. We've won two pots of silver and uh, we're going for uh, one more, the playoff final, which will be at the uh, O2 Arena um, in a week's time. The O2 Arena, fantastic venue in London, uh, provided we win our semi-final, which is taking place this weekend. Excellent. And 
I'm looking forward to coming to that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and now, one thing you might have noticed about Kevin is uh, he doesn't have an English accent. It's uh, it's a blend. I think it's part. It's mostly quite Canadian, but it's also part Irish. I think. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I've got a um, Canadian father and uh, Irish mother, and I've got an Irish wife, and I've spent time traipsing backwards and forwards across the Atlantic, so it's a bit of a mess, really. <laughs> so we, how, how many years did you spend living in Canada? So uh, my father uh, is um, from a farm in northern Ontario, my mother from a farm in the south of Kerry, near Sneem. Uh, they met during the Second World War. Um, they got married in a hurry, as they used to in those days. Uh, they ended up back in St. Uh, Catharines in Ontario, um, and that's where I was born and lived for the first seven years of my life. Uh, they then moved to New York, Long Island. Uh, there I lived for the next seven, eight years of my life. Then they moved to Ireland, Cork, uh, and there I lived with Dublin as well at university for the next seven years of my life. Ah, so you've got really have got a blend, don't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I mean, which uh, do, you, do you have a preference in terms of where you prefer to live and prefer to be? No, I think I, I I'm very much into uh, enjoying where you're at. Everywhere has different cultures, different opportunities. Um, and uh, currently living in Leicester, and uh, we very much enjoy it. Our grandchildren are here, so of course that's a massive hold on you. Uh, uh, but uh, we've enjoyed living in all of them, uh, all, all the different countries, and, and could see ourselves living there again. And it's quite quite interesting. I sometimes I see people who who maybe think, oh, I've got to go and live in Australia or somewhere like that to have a better life. But actually, it, it's often you know, who you're being, because actually you still, if you go and live in Australia, you still take the same person along with you, with the same problems often. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's about what you make of the opportunities that present you. And uh, I've been very much looking at the positive of where we go, rather than worrying about, um, you know, the uh, other side of the hill. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where did this passion for you know, these major engineering projects, where they come about, and, and then basketball. How, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm one of seven, um, and uh, my my focus in uh, school was always maths and physics. Um, and when you come out of university with maths and physics degrees, as I did, and you're looking to apply it, engineering is the obvious place. I went to Trinity College Dublin, fantastic university, great old university, um, fantastic experience living in Dublin. Um, but when I came out, there wasn't a lot of big engineering going on in Ireland at that time, very much mm -hmm. a rural economy. This is pre-European Union even, <laughs> so when we're talking about, and all the large engineering jobs I got offered were in the UK, and that's how I ended up in uh, England. I had offers in London, in Portsmouth, in Leicestershire, and I took Leicestershire. Uh, where did basketball get into this? And so all through uh, school um, in in the U.S., high school, I was playing basketball. When I went to Ireland, they said, you are a second row rugby forward. So I started playing rugby. I played a lot of rugby in, uh, in, in the couple of years of high school in Ireland. But I also played basketball. Mm -hmm. And I toured with a Dublin team playing basketball around the U.K. Uh, and when I came to the U.K., uh, the choice was really rugby and basketball. I got hooked up with the Loughborough All-Stars, who became the Leicester Riders. They're the oldest uh, established team in the UK. They were founded in 1967. Um, I joined them in 1974, and we're having our 50th birthday this year. Wow. 
Fantastic. And so you so you played you played um, basketball uh, as well as as well as rugby. Did you was it part of your grand plan? Did you see that one day you might be able to get out you know move from the engineering project into your you know to what was a passion for you? Is it just not really? I think those no no I think yeah. it was, I mean in those days I didn't get paid to play. We played in the evenings and weekends and we took it extremely seriously. We had a couple of uh, professional uh, Americans playing with us, but. Um, you know, my career was engineering, um, and uh, you never think about what's going to happen at the end, or at least I didn't. It was always on to the next opportunity, and um, I may be retired from that, but I'm still taking the same approach today. What's the next opportunity? <laughs> I notice you, you've got lots and lots of responsibilities, haven't you, in a number of different organizations, because you're, you know, you're also uh, chairman of, uh, of a number of different businesses in the in the region. You know, how do you... How do you balance your life really so you yeah i mean one of the things um i have the opportunity to be able to do what i like which is great um i've always had a passion for um uh projects particularly uh i did get the opportunity to get involved in some um uh, uh initiatives in green energy and so I'm involved in uh, community energy schemes uh, on an off for profit basis and that's evolved as well into looking at building uh, zero energy homes. I've been involved in that. I'm chairman of a company called Glendale Homes uh, based in Corby, which is just south of Leicester, uh, where we have a 47 homes uh, scheme going on. Uh, just got planning permission. Uh, so all of these things for me work together. Uh, I am involved in sport, but of course the particular uh, project I've been involved building the arena. For me, it's another project. It has all the same facets to it. And I think, you know, getting involved in projects which have a start, a middle, and an end, mm. and you achieve something is very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. So just gives a, you know, a sense of, um, you know, life when you were, you were you know, developing these really big build projects. You know, what, what was that like? And you know, what did you learn that's really helped you today? Yeah, they was mad, really. I mean, I perhaps always tended to take on a little bit too much. But when we got to the, the largest project you were talking about, which was based up in northern Ontario, and we had 3,000 men on site, I was a project director reporting to the CEO of the utility. We had 22 contractors. Uh, it becomes a mad dash. And uh, your focus is about building a team around you and trying to get the best out of everybody within the team. Um, and uh, that is very challenging, um, but it is very rewarding when it's successful, when people come together and want to, you know, all pull together and make things happen. And uh, there's never enough time. So what you end up doing, focusing on relentlessly is finding small efficiencies. Uh, and that's what I would spend my time all the time doing, looking ahead, thinking of ways of doing it a little bit quicker, mm. a little bit smarter, a little bit more uh, uh, efficiently. Um, and it's really about carrying those techniques forward then into other things you do. Yeah. I can see now how, how valuable that must be with what you're doing now. And, and you're dealing with, on, on these sorts of construction projects, you know, a really interesting range of people that's probably at times are quite hard to manage yeah absolutely um in ontario um there is still a very very strong union so uh the unions uh, control work the workflow 
who should do it, which union is entitled to do that particular job. So that presented its own challenges. We had stopped with that kind of challenge in the uh, 1970s in the UK. Uh, But in Canada, there's very strong unions and, and getting people to find ways of working together, not to address issues in the old way. Um, in an adversarial way, but looking at partnership and realizing there is a greater goal, which is getting things done to a timescale. And the the sense of achievement when you do get things done to a timescale and to a budget is great. And so uh, it's just getting people tuned into that was the most challenging part of it, but rewarding when you did it. Mm. There's an enormous amount of complexity involved in those bills yeah absolutely absolutely relentless complexity because we were these were old power stations which we were refurbing and i think um if you look around where we are today chris uh, uh, you know when you were building here and you're building on top of something that already exists with a lot of um boundary conditions around you which influences the way you can develop it's much more challenging than if you had a green field, nice flat piece of land and you were building a house from scratch. Yes. You're living in an eight, a 19th century building, uh, you've added to it, and the challenge of that and different materials working together and so on and working with different elevations, which you are, yes. that, that can be much more complex. And that was the nature of what we were doing uh, on that large project in Canada. Yeah, oh, amazing. I just, your mind's just suddenly gone back to, um, I had a guest on the show a few months ago, Mark Amarigo, uh, and Mark's job is that he... Uh, he gets brought in where there's, there's issues, complex issues, like there's a, probably a nuclear power plant or something like that, and no one can fix it. So his team come in and work on you know, the, the process for doing that. And yeah. interestingly with him, where you've gone into basketball, he's helping people break world records, you know, riding bikes down mountains at the fastest speed and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, just sort of linking into this, there's a bit of a parallel there. So you know, if people are really interested in this, um, also worth having listened to Mark's in, um, interview in the archive. Um, so, um, you know, it must have seemed then you, you were building, um, you've gone on and built, uh, you know, an arena in Leicester. Um, did, did, you know, by comparison, was that a relatively a much easier project to do? Or, or? Yeah, in one way it was much easier, obviously. Um, uh, the, the, the arena was no more challenging than the accommodation we would build before we started doing major engineering <laughs> box to house the workers at one level. On the other level, um, we were uh, responsible for doing everything on this project. So that was getting the political buy-in, raising the funds. And, and our challenge was we started off with no money. Uh, we had a vision, we had a dream that we wanted to have an arena. We'd been talking about it in the city. And Leicester is a large, modern city, 330,000, fastest growing, youngest in the East Midlands. But it doesn't have a large indoor arena, surprisingly. Mm. Uh, and it's just a just a factor of many different things that never quite came together over the years. Normally, cities would of this size would have one by now. So we were facing 25 years or 20-odd years of uh, thinking about it and planning for it, but never quite getting it done. And this is in partnership with the council, with the football club, the rugby, and so on. But um, So we were having to do all of that. So it's a whole issue of getting the money together, finding the design, going through the planning process, um, 
fine-tuning the design, uh, selecting contractors, working with the contractors, and so on. But it was at a scale where you could really get your hands around yeah, it. Nice. And so for me, it was great. I didn't have to go through three lines of management to find the guy who was not turning up and doing the job the way it, it needed to be done. I could go find him myself <laughs> for the size of the project. So that was actually brilliant, operating at another level where I kind of had was able to get my hands around absolutely everything and bring these techniques that we developed on much bigger projects and apply them in a much simpler way to a relatively modest project. This was a six million uh, pounds sterling project versus my previous project which was three billion canadian dollars so you're operating at a completely different scale but the lessons and the approach and the strategies um and ultimately it's about getting people to take ownership and wanting to buy into the objective and our objective was max out on the uh, quality of the arena for that amount of money. That was the objective and get it done, get it done to a time scale. And even as we were adding things on, don't move the end date. And that's what we were able to achieve. Mm. Yeah, that don't, don't move the end date. That'll be quite, uh, we'll talk about that more after the break because um, you know, I can imagine with on these sorts of builds, um, having been involved in, uh, in procurement and supply chain in, in my sort of past, uh, and trying to deal with people like utility suppliers and get them on time. You know, I'd be interested to hear how you managed to do that. So we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm, I'm talking with Kevin Routledge at the moment. We're talking about uh, delivering major projects and I think soon we're going to get on and talk about basketball as well. Um, Kevin, so you decided to uh, um, build this arena in in Leicester, which is, I think it's about the 10th biggest city, isn't it? Yeah, 10th so, biggest, yeah, 10th in biggest, So as you, as you say, it really is deserving of, you know, a good, good sporting facilities. And it's got a the Premier League winning football team and things like that now and, and, and various things. Um, how did you go about for start? Let's start, you, just, you said that you wanted to build this, you wanted it um, to be built on time and in full, but how did you go about really starting to get people engaged about this idea? And just also just to be clear as well, you know, in terms of your role as, as chairman, um, did this very much and the direction of the project um, just to be clear, what, what is your role? Your, your role um, in terms of the task? Do you get involved with the team as well? Or yeah, a- absolutely. Again, because it's uh, my background. Yes. Um, I go first of all. We, as I said, we have to get the political buy-in because we are looking for all the funds to be provided by other parties. We're bringing relatively, as a club, a basketball club, we have limited resources and there's limited we can bring in terms of cash. What we could do is bring um, some expertise. Uh, supportive sponsors, but we needed buy-in. We needed political buy-in. We needed local planning buy-in. We needed support from national uh, funding agencies and so on. So I took on that role, working with others, of course, because you never do these things in isolation, to source all the funds, to source the design, uh, the architect, to source the contractors, um, and so on. And as I have the time to do it, yes, uh, it was very much a, a, a job that I had uh, the ability to put my hands around it on a day-to-day basis and engage with every part of the project, uh, including within, as you mentioned, uh, local planning authorities, but also the utilities, because of course you need to bring utilities to any venue, whether it's electricity or gas or water or, or uh, telephone. Um, um, internet and so on Um, and the the big challenge there is in all these uh, uh, organizations who you're working with whether it's a contractor whether it's an architect etc they all retain stories of things that go wrong they can always wax lyrical about where the problems are they retain a strong memory of failure Mm -hmm. they don't always retain a great memory of successes and um what uh, the, the big challenge was, um, so many times I heard during the planning phase, oh, that would happen except for the council will never let you do it, or British gas are hopeless at getting meeting a timescale, or everybody wanted to um, convey to you what the challenges were going to be or what they had on the last job and always wanted to blame somebody else. And uh, my goal was to say, okay, that's what we've learned. Uh, What are we going to do differently this time? And what about the successes? What were the successes? Where were the positives? So that we could then fashion out of that a strategy that they could believe in would overcome those difficulties. And we had, we did have some amazing successes on the project 
at the level we were operating. I don't want to overdo this, but uh, particularly on uh, uh, provision of utilities, which in UK space, because you're working in a very, very congested environment underground, um, you know, we're talking about a very well-developed city, which has pipes and cables and all sorts underground. To be able to then bring your pipes and cables into that situation, to do it to a timescale, to do it with all these utilities uh, fighting with each other to, to because they are all busy and they can't do this and they don't want to do that. that. That was a big challenge and we were able to do it. And we were able to do it by getting people to see the potential rather than focusing on what went wrong last time. Yeah. So, so a big part of this then is... You know, there's a real psychology involved in this because what you're you're saying is there's a lot of people because of their experiences have got a lot of limiting beliefs at the start of the project and actually get getting over that psych those psychological barriers is, a, is at least as important as the planning process. Uh, absolutely, and then the planning process itself was a, a very good example of it because um, the, the the government is in the UK is continually frustrated by its own planning processes. Um, we hear about it, there's insufficient houses built, why all oh, the planning and so on and so forth. And uh, they try and bring in at national level and at local level, all sorts of devices to improve the process. So for example, um, people were getting frustrated by the planning process. So they brought in a, uh, a new regulation which said, uh, if you're applying for planning permission, they must give you um, get a, an answer back to you within 13 weeks. And if they knew they weren't going to get it in 13 weeks, they needed to discuss it with you so that we could agree what the new timescale would be. And that's a typical government approach to it. On this project, for a variety of reasons which I won't go into, I needed planning permission in seven weeks. And so I had to turn that whole thing around. And my initial con consultation with the planning officer designated was I need to get it in seven weeks how can you help me do that mm. and she told me it can't be done and so we went back around the houses and ultimately we did do it in seven weeks but you're overcoming that built-in mindset and built-in catalog of, of, of previous issues and you have to say well in this case if we work together if you share with me why you had all those problems, if you believe in this project and you think it's quite important, and it isn't obvious at the beginning why they should, mm. they're just doing their job, but if you can get them to get, it by, get that buy-in, then I think all of these problems are manageable. Um, we had another example on site. It's an old gas works. And in the uh, previous century, um, gas works in, um, in the UK were basically used as giant chemistry sets. And so they produced all sorts of things at gas plants, which generally then got buried in the ground. And you had to decontaminate this, this land before we did it. And that brought in a whole bunch of other agencies and challenges and so on, which for me as a technical person, I found really exciting to try and understand and then, and, and then address. So it's about looking for the positive in all of these aspects and finding the solutions and then taking people with you and getting them to own the answer and own and feel part of and feel good yeah. when we did it. And that, that became 
that became the mantra of the project. And, and, and people in the council were fully supportive to it, uh, initially skeptical, but, but bought in and pretty much stood back and said, hey, if he thinks he can do it, <laughs> let's, let's let him do it. And, uh, and that was positive because that's what we want. As long as you don't stop us, uh, then, then you're helping. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really very interesting, in, and it's making me sort of think how important it is at the start of a project like this to really have that strategy to really win over people's hearts and minds, you know, at a very deep level. So actually, they start to take um, ownership, but also you know, tremendous excitement for the project, as though it's partly you know they're playing a, a part in something in the local community. Absolutely. Tremendously important. Whatever their role is, and they turn up, they perhaps do their job, they may enjoy their job, they may not enjoy their job. How can we make it more fun? That would be always my, mm-hmm. how can I engage with them so they can see the enjoyable part of it? There, because there is always in work and doing these things and taking on challenges and winning, there is always enjoyment. So it's seeking out that enjoyment, sharing the enjoyment, getting people engaged with it. Um, was critical, I think, to the success of the project because we did deliver uh, a lot more uh, at a much lower price uh, and on time than anybody would have imagined at the start of the project. Mm. It, having been to um, to a, a game and experienced it, it almost feels like that that style, that ethos that you had with regards to the project and, and making it fun and engaging is... You know, an ethos that you also have for the games, because I was surprised at you know, how family friendly they were, and you know how much how much fun there was being had, and you know kids running around, I mean, just sitting in their seats and not being told off for it. And it was, uh, you know, I was just kind of wondering if that sense of you know fun is something that you engender as an organisation. Yeah, we try. I mean, uh, the one different sport, of course, is quite different from from other things in that. Um, at the heart of it, it's about winning. And for every winner, there's a loser. Mm. And you have to be able to develop your business aspiring to win, but capable of coping with not winning. You know, the ball fell out of the basket, that errant pass, somebody wasn't quite on their game. We've seen it all at all levels in all sport. So, so sport is a particularly challenging business because you can create all of that stuff but what makes people go home the happiest is when you win yes yes <laughs> but on, on that on the project and the a build though i think one of the things in talking to you i got a real sense of was how how that project actually was a win-win for so many people uh, and whether that was through you know clever design and thinking at the outset you know for example helping you know more disadvantaged communities locally um, which is actually often a pool for your talent absolutely so we we again and this is just this was a must this wasn't an option um basketball is relatively a minority sport in the uk um and therefore to justify the expenditure of six million pounds which perhaps doesn't sound a lot to some people but in the context of basketball in the uk in the context of basketball in leicester it's quite a lot of money in order for us to justify that we needed to be able to deliver an outcome 
which was going to be beneficial to lots of different parties. So it needed to be beneficial to the local community. And uh, Leicester is one of the most deprived cities in certain parts of the city in the UK. It needed to be beneficial to our player pathway. So these are young people who have aspiring to be uh, professional players. Uh, many of whom won't make it, but they also want to then have a career, uh, perhaps related to sport. And it had to deliver for our uh, professional teams um, at the top level. And it also, we have a, a wheelchair basketball team there. It had to deliver for them. So there's a whole load of stakeholders in this project. And it's uh, only, you can only uh, justify this level of investment um if you're satisfying all these stakeholders, um, because there isn't a massive commercial driver. Nobody's going to get rich doing this. Uh, so it has to give back to the community in other ways rather than profits and shareholder returns. Mm. They don't exist because actually this venue sits inside a charity, a nationally registered charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do... How do your you know sort of players and uh, and the sort of team view when you when you consider say in some markets how big basketball is and there's probably I imagine there's probably players in America who might not get out of bed for six million pounds. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There are uh, very many players in the NBA who are on annual salaries multiples times. Uh, six million but you know everybody plays to the level they're at we have a fantastic coach uh, we have very very uh, good players uh, they played at top level in the US it's a very very competitive market in basketball as it is in football and uh, they know this is this could be a stepping stone for them onto a higher level perhaps in Europe or even back to the US uh, but they have got to take on um, the the situation that's in face, and they do, and they enjoy it. And we have a, as I say, we have a great coach. It's really down to the coach, to be honest. Uh, he creates the culture of the team, and he he gets players who want to play for him, which is fantastic. And um, but but yes, there is a culture in the club as well. Um, that's important to all of that. Mm, yeah, so I was enjoying um, observing the coach and how animated he was during the game. He really. Uh, Really gets into it, doesn't he? He's really yeah. He's a passionate. He's yeah. a passionate. He's from New York. He's Italian, uh, and he brings a lot of passion. He's a former player. He's a relatively a small man in a big man's game, mm. um, so he brought that to it as well. And he brings an immense amount to the to the club, both in terms of winning games, but also in terms of his off the court uh, contribution to. The, the development of the sport in the community. We sit in a town that is dominated by football. Of course, the unbelievable achievement of Leicester City in becoming Premier League champions. We also happen to have perhaps the best run rugby club in the Northern Hemisphere at Leicester Tigers, um, a good county cricket club. So we, we, we're, we're punching above our weight sport-wise as a city in, in the UK. And we've got some very, very good examples around us uh, so we need to we need to make ourselves heard, and Rob Paternoster, our coach, does a great job of doing that. Yeah, yeah, and it shows you know these things. It's it's you know the people businesses, aren't they? And and do do you think sometimes that people and I see in organisations they lose sight that actually what they're doing as an organisation is there to benefit people? 
including their employees, and lose touch with that? Yeah, absolutely, totally the case. I think um, very often sports clubs lose um, uh, focus on their fans. The fans are the customers. The customers are very important. Without any customers, we'd be out of business. Um, so we need to always think about what we're doing in terms of the context of how will that impact our customers. How will they feel? Yes, they want to win, but they also want to be looked after. They don't want to be shortchanged. They want to get value for money, uh, uh, etc. And I think you need to think about that. And it's trying to find that balance. There's a lot of things to do in a day um, between winning, but, but at the heart of sports clubs is winning. Uh, and um, you have to have that right up at the top, but you can't do it at the expense of disregarding your staff, your employees, and your fans, customers, and all the other people who, volunteers who are involved in the club. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've just got a, a couple of minutes till uh, commercial break. So I was going to ask you a question about you know, how on earth you managed to get the utility companies to deliver, uh, you know, within your timescales. Um, we've got about two minutes, so um, it has to be quite quick. Yeah, we might have gone after the break. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, again, it's interesting in working with, in the UK, the utilities are very large. They have come all from the public sector. They all believe they're incredibly commercial now, and they have all these planning processes and so on. For me, the main thing was going back and trying to understand what was driving them, what did they need to achieve, how did they go about their businesses. Ultimately, we worked to their guidelines, but I gave them a, a big understanding of what we were trying to do, and I gave them a date long in advance that I wanted to, them to appear on site, and I would have everything prepared for them, and all they had to do was drop their pipe, pull their wire, um, or whatever. And ultimately, amazingly, when you do work like that, you are transparent, you do what you say you're going to do, even big organizations like that can deliver because ultimately you're working with a guy or a woman at a level who's going to deliver that uh, service. And I think if you can get it down to that personal level and give them fair warning and all the rest of it, you can get them to buy into what you're trying to achieve and make your project special. Yes. Make your project the one they put the little bit of effort into. That may mean some other project gets short shrift, possibly. I don't know anything about that, but uh, it's just getting them to buy in. So it's about engagement. It I mean, it's about engagement. What's the name? I had an absolutely fantastic Polish guy um, from Western Power Distribution who was amazing on this. And to this day, he helps us. Thank you. Well, a uh, lovely way to end there. Uh, as many people know, listen to this, my favourite word is in probably engagement. Uh, so um, really nice to end with that. We're gonna, After the break, we're going to start talking more about about basketball and some of the lessons uh, around you know, the team and it's, it's amazing success. So we'll be back with you again. Do join us in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. 
email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Kevin Routledge. We're talking about riding high. And, and so, Kevin, you, you built this amazing arena. And I, I guess for the best way for people maybe to get a bit of a sense of it is to go probably go to leicesterriders.co.uk and, and have a look. And I'm always aware, you know, aware that with the big projects like this, they, it involves a lot of people. So the, the local council and suppliers and, and your own team uh, back at um, at the – uh, Leicester Riders. I mean, um, you know, what what are your thoughts in terms of you know how that all worked together and how and the thoughts around the people and the, their sort of contribution to it? Because you can't do these things on your own, can you? No, absolutely not. Um, we got uh, fantastic support um, all the way through the project. The city council was critical. They provided funding. They of course have to provide the plan- planning function, but they provided a great deal more. And uh, there was some. Uh, too many people to mention at the council from the city mayor, Sir Peter Salisbury on down, who made a fabulous contribution to the project. We work very closely with Leicester College, their largest further education college in the city, 27,000 students. Again, they were been integral to this project from the start, a number of people involved in that as well. We also got support from the local enterprise partnership, so that's a funding agency, uh, government funding, and again, they were incredibly supportive. And then Sport England, who are a national agency who invest in sporting infrastructure, uh, again, a number of people there. These projects are not delivered by individuals. Um, They are delivered by teams. Um, The numbers of people involved in it, they ebb and flow, People make contributions along the way, um, early in the fe- in the project, later in the project, but it's needed all their contributions to get to where we are. So we were very, very fortunate. We also had the support of a number of our sponsors who provided pro bono services and so on, and some funding as well. So uh, a, a, a really good example of, of, of a community coming together and um uh, delivering something that we've been trying for a very long time and uh, weren't able to do, but this time we got the right kind of mentality into it and, and delivered the project. Excellent. And you've got, you've got your own team as well. I mean, what sort of size of team were you working with? Did you? Did, was there many of you? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were always struggling for resources. So we're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a modest size club. And... Uh, everybody's pulled in everybody's doing two or three jobs so it was a challenge from that point of view but uh it it was a very good lessons learned and everybody feels good about it 
the team feels good about it. The, the coach feels good about it. Our staff down at the arena feel good about being in that building. Um, everybody feels a piece of it belongs to them, which is really what you want to do, uh, the, the way you want to come out of this project. And it's, it's translating itself onto the floor, I think, because of that feel-good factor. Uh, we attract better players. And we're able to put out uh, a, a better team than perhaps we otherwise would have been able to. And that's contributed to the success on the court. So, because this, this is all about people, it's about engagement, it's about fun, it's about getting, you know, getting people to, um, uh, to work to timescales as well, but feel happy to do so, and all very smart. I'm... Um, you know, the team has, as you said, performed very highly. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit for, you know, I know we have a lot of American listeners, probably basketball is a huge thing over there. What is the, what is the British Basketball League over here? And also, what are the key elements that you think really contributed to this high performance uh, of the players in the club? Yeah, so the, the um, BBL is um, it's a kind of mid-table league in Europe. Um, we're not at the level of the uh, Spanish league or the Italian league or the German league, for that matter, or the French league. Um, but we're um, a, a, a league that is uh, very athletic, very quick. Uh, we play a good brand of basketball, and it's a league on the up. Um, at the heart of it is uh, media Um and with the evolution now towards digital, everything is digital, everything's being streamed, that's actually given us an opportunity as a sport, which is really attractive to young people, particularly in the inner cities uh, in the UK. We have a way of accessing them through digital, uh, all the various digital uh, uh, approaches. And so um, the team has become very successful um, and uh, two championships in a row, um, a couple of BBL trophies in a row uh, over the last uh, five years or so ourselves and Newcastle have sort of dominated uh, the league and that's built around um, this teamwork that we've been talking about the ability to deliver things working together so it's an exciting time for the club it's an exciting time to be in British basketball because we are now getting traction um, in the media we are getting our games stream live um, around the world every game uh, working with our uh, partners at the BBC and also in the Perform Group so uh, we, we have a lot of very positive feelings about where we're going to be able to go and that will improve the kinds of players we can attract from the US we already get um, numbers of players from top US college programs joining us and they can see that uh, it's going to help their career. It's a place that can they can come to and help their career if they aspire to higher levels of basketball globally. Uh, and is the, the opportunity for players to, you know, play other European teams and things like that? Is there an international aspect to it? Yeah. So the um, believe it or not, in Europe there are four leagues. Remember, there's only two in football, the Europa League and the Champions League. In, in basketball, we've somehow managed to have four. Um, and that is um, an aspect that we are looking at playing in next year. We have in the past played in Europe, not very successfully. Um, and that's partly down to not having venues of our own, venues that we can control, venues where we can get the food and beverage and parking, all the other aspects of uh, commercial operation. But now we're in a position to do that. We will be looking to challenge. It's highly competitive in Europe. There are many, many very well-established 
uh, sporting clubs. I mean, at the top of the pile are clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, who are operating on massive budgets, you know, the, um, uh, in Europe. So we've got a ways to go to get to that level. But uh, we are making good progress, and we are excited about it, and we do have the ambition to take on those kinds of clubs uh, in the medium term. Excellent. And how does, to you know, create this, uh, these levels of performance, how important is sort of sports psychology, you know, nutritional, those sorts of things, and how do you, you know, handle that at the club? Well, we're very fortunate um, in that uh, we were founded at Loughborough University, um, and we still have an incredibly close relationship. We lo- we coach all the teams at Loughborough University. Um, uh, they are the Bucks champions, so they are the collegiate champions in basketball, both male and female. And, of course, Loughborough has a worldwide reputation uh, for sporting excellence in all sorts of sports. Um, uh, you know, number one in the U.K., um, one of the world leading for, for student engagement and, and, and having a, a good experience. So we are fortunate and they have fantastic facilities there. So if you want to look at uh, whether it's uh, nutrition or um, uh, support, uh, exercise, etc., there are world leading experts there and we are able to access all of those facilities. So we're very, very lucky to do that and to have that close relationship with Loughborough University. We also work closely with the other sporting clubs in the city, Leicester City, Leicester Tigers, the county cricket. Uh, we talk on a regular basis. We'll help each other out. Uh, we feel like we're um, on a little bit of a roll uh, mm-hmm. as a city and we support each other. Um, we've even got the world snooker champion, Mark Selby. He's coming to our game tomorrow. He'll be along to a football match, no doubt, in the near future as well. Our team, when they won the championship last year and we had 250,000 people out on Victoria Park cheering on Leicester City Football Club, the basketball club was up there on the stage with them. Mm-hmm. So there is that support mechanisms within the city where we're trying to help each other to be as successful as we can be in each of our individual sports. Yeah. So uh, Yes, I remember. I've seen the team a couple of times running around the, uh, the stadium at Leicester City and, and I was there on that amazing day with 250,000 people. Um, but it can be amazing if you could have a similar um, you know, similar event for yourselves winning the league one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be a few years away yet, but uh, 250,000 and they had a million in Bangkok, which is even more amazing. <laughs> so I think that was... Um, that was a once-in-a-lifetime, the, the Leicester City Football Club. But you never know. They did extremely well in the Champions League this year. So who knows? Anything's possible in the future. Thanks. Well, I'm looking forward to going back there again tomorrow. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, what, what just what is it, though? Is it about this city in that we, you know, we have absolutely, you know, punched above our weight, really, haven't we, in the last couple of years? Um, it all seemed, to, all seemed to start as well with um, finding Richard III under the car park in the yeah, middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Well, I, I think uh, clearly uh, Richard III was a catalyst, but um, there's been long-term investment in sport. Um, if you take a club like the Leicester Tigers Rugby Football Club, 1880, they've always been run extremely well. And I think the transition for Leicester City Football Club was the new owners. And they came in with a very clear vision they didn't throw money around. They've been consistent in it. They provide a good leadership. And I think that's led to their success. And ultimately, um, success is about leadership and having good leadership and people working together. 
Um, and um, I think uh, Leicester City has been a great example of that. They haven't been uh, always successful. We remembered when they went down to League One. But more recently, they've had that consistent ownership, strategy, direction. And we've seen a lot of foreign investment in British football, English football, the English Football League in particular. Some of it good, some of it not so good. But when you see an example like what has happened at Leicester City, it reminds you that leadership, clear strategy, consistent direction, follow through um, is the right way for any business, including sporting businesses. Yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful um, kind of articulation there of uh, what's important to be successful today in in business. Um, I wonder, do you, do you have any other sort of final messages that you'd like to leave us with? Well, no. I mean, it's obviously been a delight to talk to you, Chris. Um, from my point of view, um, uh, it is about working together as a team. We are a team sport. It's interesting in sport, you work in sport, you know that Winning is all about teamwork, making the extra pass. It's the assist as much as scoring the goal. Yet on the business side, people throw those principles away and operate in a completely different way. It makes no sense. So for me, um, the carrying, taking those characteristics of a winning team on the pitch, which is about the extra pass, going the extra mile, working for your partners, being prepared to sit on the bench while somebody else's plays because they can make a bigger contribution, accepting the authority of the coach. All of those things are characteristics that carry costs directly into businesses. So when you are thinking Uh, as you often do about your team, your professional team, your local team, whoever it is, and you wish the team would play the way you as the manager would like them to do, carry those same things back into your business, apply the same characteristics, think team, think partnering, think support, and that'll take you a long way. Wonderful. Uh, great, um, you know, some great inspiration there. And I think this is a final sort of note for me, you know, what that's, can be thinking about too is often you know in businesses as young people come and they kind of want to change the world and what they what they do uh, forget often is to appreciate people who have amassed enormous wisdom during their during their careers you know in your career you've you know, worked on massive projects and you know a huge variety of uh, different um, you know in, involvements that you have um, around you know project development, so you know I think it's a message for me is to really seek out those people who can advise you and guide you and support you in that uh, in that development um, because that wisdom is is priceless. Why, why keep you know why learn it all from scratch when actually the people there can share with you what works? Absolutely, totally agree with you, Chris. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Kevin. Um, love talking to you today. Um, I wish the the riders the greatest amount of success. I'm looking forward to attending more games. And if you have the opportunity, you're in Leicestershire any any time, um, or you're listening locally, do go and check it out. It's a fantastic, uh, fun. Uh, thing to do with the family. My kids absolutely loved it and were, you know, when can we go again? When can we go again? So do go and check check that out and uh, and meet the, the great people at the Leicester Riders as well. I'm sure they give you a warm welcome. To find out more, um, go to www.leicesterriders.co.uk. That's leicesterriders.co.uk. Uh, on next week's show, um, I have a fascinating uh, lady from Germany, Kirsten Playway. Now, Kirsten is a political commentator and speaker. She's worked with many 
many of the world's top leaders. There's pictures on a site with people like Angela Merkel, and, and I think she's with Hillary Clinton and people like that. So she's um, had some amazing conversations um, as a, a commentator and today a speaker. But she also trained to be a park ranger in Africa. So during the show, we're going to talk about um, her leadership lessons from working with wild animals um, and her observations of those. So. Um, I wonder if there'll be any parallels with some of our global leaders um, that we might draw during that conversation. But do uh, join us again. That will be, I'm sure, a really fascinating interview. And uh, thanks again for uh, listening today. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.